where four movie fans test the limits of their friendship. I'm Lacey, here with Mella, Josh, and Rashawn. How's it going, my friends? Thank you so much for tuning in today. Thank you for pressing play. Why don't you take a second and like, subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening. Just do it, okay? Just do it. How's everybody doing today? We love a plead. Yeah. I feel like that was my most like upbeat one that I've done. I'm Mm -hmm. usually like near tears asking them to do it. I'm good. What are we watching? What are we doing? We took a little holiday recording break. Mm -hmm. So it's been it's been a couple weeks since we've actually done this. So uh, the final episode of Hawkeye has come out. Hawkeye. Hawkeye has come out. You you watching the wrong one, bitch. (laughs) That's the bootleg. Jerome Rainier is fantastic. <laughs> Much better lead, in my opinion. <laughs> the final episode of Hawkeye has come out, and as I promised uh, quite a few episodes ago, I would give a review once it was all done, and it's all done, and I really, really, really enjoyed it. I don't know if it's my favorite TV show, Marvel TV show. I think it is. WandaVision was so long ago that it, it's a toss between those two. Haley Steinfeld was perfect as Kate Bishop. I can't wait to see more of her. It it bums me out that it took this long for them to get Clint Barton correct. He he was so underutilized in so many of the earlier films. My review ultimately is I think this show would have made a knockout movie. If this show was trimmed a little bit, it would have made probably my favorite Marvel movie. As it stands, it was a great Christmas show. It was a great self-contained Marvel property. You I'm also need to say how great Vera Farmiga was because she was, she was. so great. She was. She wasn't a, the character I expected to be. She wasn't utilized how I thought she would be, which I can only blame myself. I'm bummed out about. That being said, she was obviously fantastic because it's Vera Farmiga. Rashawn, I know you watched it. What do you think? You liked it? At like the halfway point when we were talking about it. That's always how it goes with these Marvel shows, though. He's like, yeah, I like it. It's so good. And then he mm-hmm. hates it. I was not as disappointed as I was with like Loki and WandaVision. I don't even think I was disappointed. I think I just need to stop fighting the MCU machine and just let it let bulldoze it happen, me. Baby. Just let it happen. But I do think, ironically, I do think this is my favorite of the of the shows hell yeah Mm -hmm. will it ruin your opinion if i tell you that a supposed death that happened in the final episode is not a death see josh this is you this is how you get working (laughs) i don't care yeah they cut a mid-credit scene where kingpin stands up kingpin's not dead shocker like we all know and we know he's not dead though he was in 1.5 1.5 episodes of course he's not dead yeah. the day that marvel brings in like 
Leo for a one movie and they kill him off and it's done, I will eat my poop. Like it's <laughs> Oh my god. I will be so I will be so shocked. They're, I'm like they I, they brought in someone, they shocked the audience, there was no leak of it, and then he's in and out. I will be like my mind will be blown. So I'm never like, oh, that person's not dead. I'm like, yeah, I know. So that doesn't count for Christian Bale and Thor. Um, well, I guess I guess they've never brought like Kate Blanchett back or anything like that. So I guess, yeah, but but those were announced, known in the trailer Mm -hmm. characters though too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They can't like we haven't talked obviously about Spider Man, but imagine the feeling if. It wasn't the worst kept secret for the better part of a year. Imagine that that feeling when that portal opened. I used to be, I mean, you all know my WandaVision era. I used to love theorizing and speculating, and I thought it was a really good time, and I had fun flexing my comic knowledge. I think it's, I think it's starting to ruin comic book properties, I think, because creators are now starting to beat theorizers and, and, and predictors, and it's becoming this sort of one-up game that isn't having much of a payoff and i think it's dangerous it takes the it takes the fun out of the experience i mean it's like you said rashan when we get that deep into spoiler territory it it just i mean can you exactly like you said i'm just re- just cut this out <laughs> we're spending so much time on marvel it's okay. i enjoyed it. i enjoyed hawkeye it, it was great and I Hawkeye agree. was fun, and Spider-Man was fun. Yes, Spider-Man and I will echo Josh's sentiment for the first and last time. Oh my god. I agree with him, and it would have made a bomb-ass movie. Yeah. Mella, what about you? What have you been watching lately? Um, I finally got around to watching Jackie from oh. 2016. God damn, Natalie Portman is fucking good. I don't think there's a person out there that's ever been like, she was okay but a movie like jackie damn she's a force and to think that she lost the oscar to emma stone in la la land really fucking guys my game that was that year that was that year wow that to hear you say that i know it is because i like la la land and i like emma stone but up against nat port baby so i obviously watched spencer by the same director and i loved it so Rashawn was like, you have to see Jackie. And y'all know I love everything 1960s. So I'm like, well, how did I miss it? Uh, I've said this before, but it's one of those movies where you're like, acting, this is why I love it. She's mesmerizing. Like there's this whole scene um, right after JFK gets shot. And it's just a fucking close up of her with like blood on her face. And she's crying. Mm-hmm. I almost cried. This is just so good. It's just her in the camera for maybe a whole minute and it doesn't sound like a long time but just watching someone cry for a minute oh my god it's it's so good if you guys get a chance to just see it like you have to kind of be in a mood to watch it but i was like fuck it it's 12 o'clock at night i'm gonna put it on yeah i fucking recommend it we saw nightmare alley josh and i did um i don't want to talk about it too much because i truly have no idea how rashad and mel will feel about it I don't know. If I threw a bomb in a barrel of fish, I wouldn't catch one because I have no idea. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm just so nervous about today. Um, when does that opportunity present itself? 
t- no, let's backtrack. So please, are, no, we don't need to. Are Mel and Rashawn the fish? Or I they, think we're the, the fish. fish. The opinions. We're the bomb. No, we're the bomb. <laughs> no, because no. she can't. She, she said she can't figure out how you'll feel. So are the fish the opinions, and she can't. Yeah, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. So Nightmare Alley is the bomb. Nightmare Alley is the bomb. Yes. The barrel is Rashawn and Carmella. Yeah. It's a she... it's a fair analogy. No, it's not. I, I, yeah, I just I wanted to get there. I would have just kept it going. I was like, yeah, that's an analogy. <laughs> so if you threw Nightmare Alley and it exploded, you wouldn't be able to catch their opinions. Mm-hmm. What kind of fish are Can we? Can you just stop Dolphin? making me feel dumb, please? <laughs> Do you know how close it is to the original? I don't know. I've never seen the original. Okay. Because um, you, so you keep saying this and it, it makes me nervous. The Did cast you like is, the original? The cast is delicious. I do like the original. Obviously, we're going to talk about the director today. So yeah. you got me on edge. <laughs> I thought it was phenomenal. I thought Bradley Cooper was amazing. Willem Dafoe. Tony Collette. The cast is just stacked. It's it's phenomenal. It's yeah. just not at all what I expected. It's dark. Ooh. It's a very, very dark story. Yeah. Very. Okay. Good segue, Rashawn. Thank you. What are we fighting about today, you guys? Lacey. Rashawn. Speaking of the incredible Guillermo del Toro, mm. in a dark time, we sat down to watch Pants Labyrinth. When hope was bleak, there lived a young girl whose only escape was in a legend that wanted her back. The legend speaks of the lost soul of a princess from another world who will one day be reborn. Pan's Labyrinth is a 2006 fantasy drama written and directed by Guillermo del Toro, starring Ivana Baquero, Mirabel Verdu, Ariadna Gil, Sergi Lopez, and my personal hero, Doug Jones. Pan's Labyrinth is the story of 11-year-old Ophelia navigating a war-torn Spain under the supervision of her malicious and sadistic stepfather, Captain Vidal. As the treacherous violence of the real world threatens to crush Ophelia's spirit, a world of fantasy and adventure opens before her. Pan's Labyrinth was my first ever Guillermo del Toro film. I think I say this about every movie that I bring into the pod, but if you were to mix up everything I love into a little cauldron, it would be a movie like Pan's Labyrinth. We have fairy tales, we have horror, we have adventure, we have a little girl going on a journey, and it's told so timelessly. The story of Ophelia, not just growing up in a war-torn Spain, but in a war-torn home is a universal concept and this this longing for purpose and belonging is something that we can all grasp at and relate to and as someone who as a child wanted nothing more than to be a lost princess from some fantastical world um to see her fantasy play out for her real or imagined viewer take you know your own opinion for what really happened 
it was just so rich and rewarding and magical. And it's still, we watched it again today and I still cry like a baby um, every time I watch it. I think it's so unique. I think it's so well told. It's beautiful to look at and fish in a barrel. I have no idea where we're going today. So um, I kind of know how Josh feels. So I'm going to start with him and then I'll get to you too. I think this movie's greatest strength is also its greatest weakness. is, And that is the unapologetic del Toro-ness of it all. Maybe as much as Shape of Water, if not more, this is just his footprint there was a time we started watching this and i was like oh yeah of course i love this movie and then in the middle i was like Man, i don't i don't really know if i like this movie that much mm-hmm. and then at the end in the last act i loved it like i it's so, the last act is so gripping and this might seem counterproductive this might invalidate my opinion of the movie as a whole oh well but my favorite part of the movie is the real world guerrilla warfare captain vidal versus these revolutionaries if that was just the movie i would love it and that's not saying i didn't love ophelia's part but my favorite part of the movie is the is the real world stuff i think it's really compelling and kind of gripping and it's my kind of movie and all that being said long story long thumbs up guillermo del toro is your favorite director Lacey, and i think i'd say he's top 10 maybe top five for me He's fantastic. So a thumbs up for me. Okay. 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 Not the resounding positivity I was expecting, but I'll take it. Thumbs up. Thank you. Now I'm very scared. (laughs) I know Mela likes other Guillermo del Toro films, and I know Rashawn likes at least one. So I'm going to start with, I'm going to start with Rashawn. What's the one that you know that I love? Crimson Peak, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I uh, will, I guess I lied. I will echo again what Josh said. Let's go. That Guillermo is incredible. I don't know how to. I, Just say it. Rip the band I don't name. know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Also, I guess behind the scenes, I almost did Crimson Peak like months ago. But it didn't. And then you said you wanted to do Pan's Labyrinth. And I was like, yeah, fuck it. Let's do it. I hadn't seen it in a while. And this watch just didn't grab me. It, like, it didn't. Yeah, I, I I thought I had something that I could say. But I'm just confused. I think that's just how I, that's what I got to leave you with right now. <laughs> I don't know. So you don't know if you liked it. You don't know if you disliked it. Correct. Great. Oh, so man. so helpful i know <laughs> all right mella what's up lace oh girl you know i said this to you in person and i'm gonna say it again lacy loves a little girl lost in the fucking forest dude she loves <laughs> a door out of nowhere she we loves love walking barefoot in the dirt she loves it <laughs> as soon as you said pan's labyrinth i was like yeah i mean course Lacey loves this movie of course um yeah I saw this movie I think in high school for the first time Guillermo del Toro was really new to me and then once I started watching other movies of his I was like oh he really sticks to this like 
grim type of storytelling, which is fucking awesome. Um, I don't remember how I felt about like coming away from it other than just being like, whoa. Um, and then it had been years and I watched it this time around. And I also don't know how I feel about <laughs> it. But I will say this, I don't I didn't come away from it like feeling like fuck that movie. I dislike it. I think what it is is that I really, really love the beginning and I really like the fantasy behind it. But the ending is so incredibly bleak to me that when I turn it off, I'm like, wait, what? It's mm-hmm. as if I didn't remember the ending or if I didn't, if I was just like, I'm not going to remember that. I'm just going to remember the really cool fawn and the fucking pale man and the chalk and the fairies. I'm going to remember those really cool things about the movie. And I'm going to say, fuck the ending because it's just like, what did I just fucking watch for, (laughs) let's just say two hours. I feel like just so sad after it all, which is, I guess like a testament to the to the grim filmmaking, but I don't know. Maybe that leaves like a bad taste in my mouth. I'm not sure. I need to talk it out, to be honest. I feel that's very interesting. So I'd like I let's start at the end of the movie then. Because it's it's a divisive ending and it is a very contradictory ending. Yeah. And Guillermo had I actually just watched an interview of him talking about it. So where do you all stand as far as what happens like was the fairy tale all fake and this is all happening in Ophelia's head is it an is it a religious allegory is it like what do you feel is happening at the end I was very firmly team this is all in her head the first time I watched it I don't know why this time watching I was like maybe it's not the whole time I was watching I was like maybe this is real Mm -hmm. Guillermo was a master of something I saw coined magical realism like shape of Mm. water for example is perfect magical realism like there's this world where there is magic and there's these creatures but it's kind of it's part of the world and people can just kind of accept it but then obviously in this one there's the telltale signs of just a chalk outline on the door and at the end when Vidal walks into the maze and sees her by herself but then you could turn around and say well the fawn is magical he doesn't have to appear to Vidal he can just appear to Ophelia. It's not, it's, it's the fawn's choosing. The She's same also way that, the princess. So the prince, yeah. she might be the only one who can see him. The same way that the book has empty pages until it's ready to show Ophelia what it needs to see. But the thing that maybe tilted my hand a little bit into it's in her head. And I think that's the beautiful tragedy of the movie. I, the ending is my favorite part of the movie is that, you see her in the throne room with her her mama elf and her papa, Father Time. It's this beautiful, ethereal, well-lit, like there's applause, these huge thrones. It cuts back to Mercedes outside humming the lullaby to her. And then it cuts back in and the, the mother says something and there's a moment of silence where she's kind of taking it all in. And very faintly, you can hear the lullaby being hummed in the throne room. Mm-hmm. and that's what tilted me like this is in her head she can still hear the lullaby this is in her head she's dying which made me sad like i wanted it to be real mm. and it bummed me out that it wasn't which I, like i said the ending is my favorite part of the movie by a long shot the middle loses me but we'll talk about that but the ending is my favorite for sure including the Ophelia parts and 
I think it's all in her head. I think it's a coping mechanism. I think she's a child of a single mother in World War II, the same way that maybe forgetting that she dies in the end is a coping mechanism for the viewer. Yep. Exactly it. Exactly it. Mela, you stand with that too? You think it's real? Yeah, I very much agree. It's magical realism, like Josh said. I thought that the magic was real. And then when I watched it this time, I was like, it is real, right? And then you get to the end and you're like, fucking shit, it's not. And I think that's a part of like the bleakness is like, we've been on this journey with this little girl and Guillermo is telling you to believe it. I think the part for me is actually the little milk root under the bed. Mm-hmm. And then the next morning she's feeling a little better. And I'm like, yes, it's working. You see mm-hmm. magic. And you fall, I or I fell into believing it. And you fall into the same journey that Ophelia is on until the very end. And I feel like it just fucking pulls the rug from underneath you, man. Mm-hmm. You know what you write, though? Let's talk about the milk root. Sorry, I'm going to interrupt. No, what's, new? <laughs> what's new what's uh, new the doctor didn't know how she's getting better better he denied her medicine well she denied medicine she said i'm better i don't need it and she's getting better 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 with milk root and then Vidal threw the milk root in the fire or no excuse me the mom threw the milk root in the fire mm-hmm. and then she got worse and then she died mm-hmm. but now hold on maybe she died because she told the doctor she didn't need any more medicine yeah you don't know come on guillermo you don't Damn. know Damn, Theo Willie. Rashad, where are you at on the ending? So you guys know I love a bleak ending. Um, the bleaker the better. I don't think that the magic is real. But that could also be, you know, you as a viewer, you you project yourself onto the film and you take what you want from it. Also, Guillermo is not a stranger to offing children you know no. if you, mm. he produced the orphanage you know Shit. if you've seen the devil's backbone um dead kids are his thing i actually read <laughs> a really cool thing um all of the unnamed soldiers that are in the revolution mm-hmm. in this film are said mm-hmm. to be the children who survived from devil's, devil's backbone. backbone what so, like, driving through cool. the theory that all of his films happen within the same universe. I was going to say, is he like Tarantino? Like, are his movies all... I think it's just those, because I think there's a character in The Devil's Backbone that is in Pan's Labyrinth. But don't wow. quote me on that. Yeah, said so, so all that to say, I think that my biggest issue is that the two genres don't really meld well enough for me, which is why the act two is devote so much time to the political struggle and that you kind of forget that you're watching also watching a fairy tale mm-hmm. so that when you come back in the third act and that devastating twist happens you're just like oh yeah that's right there was this whole i think ophelia kind of disappears for a bit and you're just kind of like oh yeah that's right okay let's get back into the, the final task and then she's gone which i i do think it lands it lands, but to answer your question, I don't think the magic is real. <laughs> I feel like I was <laughs> rambling a little bit, but no, it's okay. I, I don't. I I think it's it was definitely a coping mechanism, and every decision that the magic quote unquote makes or heals can be justified with the decision in the real world. Mm-hmm. I feel a lot of different ways about the ending because it's so beautifully sad if the magic is not real it's just like the fact that she's 
able to have that experience just in her mind as literal hellfire is raining down upon her is a very tragically beautiful thing. But I watched an interview and I read this quote from Guillermo that said, so he believes that the ending is up to the viewer. He says that he hopes that anybody who watches it can walk away with a different feeling, a different point of view, a different belief in what actually happened. He believes that the magic was real. And that's mm. that's the story he wanted to tell. But he wanted it to be open-ended enough for anyone to make their own decisions about it. But this quote, he said, I always think of that beautiful quote by Soren Kierkegaard. Don't know if I said that right, but I tried. <laughs> that says, the tyrant's reign ends with his death, but the martyr's reign starts with his death. I think that is the essence of this movie. It's about living forever by choosing how you die. So I think we see a lot of Ophelia's trials and tribulations through the fantasy. You know, she's tested continuously. Her character is tested continuously. The choices she makes, good or bad, affect what happens to her in the fantasy world and in the real world. But ultimately, her choosing the non-intended path for her ends up working in her fantastical magical favor. So by her not sacrificing her brother and sacrificing herself, she did in fact make the right decision for the princess. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? All right, Lise. Oh God, what? She's the least interesting part of this movie. No, she's not. Babe, a little bit. No, she's not. She's a sad little girl. Who's encountering magic? What is not exciting about that? She but we don't it. get we we don't <laughs> get a lot of her. Vidal, Mercedes, the doctor, especially Vidal. All of these other characters get so much and she right. spends a lot of time reacting. Which I don't mind I don't mind a passive. She's an eleven year old girl. It's that's I'm with Rashawn, but it's not her fault. It's the, not I'm not saying it's her fault, but she she's Alice and Alice in Wonderland, is she not? It's happening to her. She's out of control in this situation, and the place that she has control is the fantasy world. Let's. She don't even have Lace, control there. I just know. Eating grapes, Lacey. <laughs> I'm so sorry, but I agree with Rashawn. And let me let me let me use Mel's example. Okay. Just stay with me, okay? No, I'm not, I'm gone. <laughs> Alice's adventure in Wonderland. I'm just gonna give you two options. You're gonna tell me who's more interesting, okay? Yeah. Just as a reader or a watcher, who's more interesting? I need you to answer honestly. I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. Alice or the Cheshire Cat? Alice. No. Alice <laughs> or the Mad Hatter? Alice. You're full of shit. Well, if you're going <laughs> to lie, Lisa. Do you understand, though? That's what this is. It's like, yeah. Does it, that make it a bad thing? I guess. No. Exactly. No, it's not a bad thing, but she's the least interesting part. But she's, she's the everyman in this situation like you can be the yeah what you can be the straight man you can be the everyman you can be the catalyst of everything and everything around you can be more interesting than you the catalyst that's a thing iron man is the least interesting avenger what what she has (laughs) sorry josh how does it feel what she has (laughs) what she has agency in is not what the movie's about for like 
an hour, a good hour or so. She's tangential to so much that's going on with Vidal and Mercedes and the doctor. So much so that it almost doesn't feel like it's a coping mechanism. It feels like two different stories. Like two she different has, stories, Rashawn. She she does not in a bad way, but she has no bearing on the plot that's happening between the adults. I'm sorry, there's a war going on. What can an eleven year old girl do? Grab a gun, girl. If, if, she, if she's a magical eleven year old with an army of Faun. Faun? Faun? <laughs> he watched the bootleg again. It's a Poon's Labyrinth. Faun? But, uh, well, my my brain wanted to say fauna, and then my mouth cut it off. I was like, "It's not. That's not the word." So, so, so it came a out fauna. Fauna, a beautiful woman, fawn. Um, speaking of, when you were listing the cast, this is just a funny for me. There's a bunch of really gorgeous, like multiple syllable Hispanic names in this cast. The one white man. Has quite possibly the <laughs> whitest name of all time, and that is Doug Jones. Let's talk about Doug Jones, you guys. He's so—I mean, he made it onto our best performances of the decade for Shape of Water. And if we did one for the two thousands, I would immediately enter him for the Fawn and for the Pale Man in Pan's Labyrinth. If you had to choose, though, which one? Yeah. The Fawn. I mean, the pale man's terrifying and scary, but the fawn... Here's something I read that I thought was absolutely awesome. Doug Jones was the only American actor on set. He was the only person that spoke English on set. And Guillermo was the only bilingual person on set. So Doug Jones didn't really have anyone to socialize with. He was in the makeup chair for five plus hours a day having his uh, applications put on. But he spent that time in the makeup chair as things were being applied to him to learn not only his lines in Spanish as the fawn, but he also learned Ivana's lines so that he knew when to respond. Guillermo didn't wind up using his voice. He wound up using a theatrical actor named Pablo Adan to do the voice of the fawn. But the actor said that Doug Jones made it so easy because he knew exactly what he was saying that and his emotions and his timbre was so great that he was able to just go in and he got it done very quickly, the ADR for it. Wait, I just, so he did all that work and they ADR'd him? Just <laughs> his voice. He still had to speak so the He's, mouth was moving. Yeah. Oh, damn. <laughs> I don't think that's so crazy. He still spoke the line so that... like She could hear him, yeah. I mean, and otherwise he would have had to lip sync to a language she's not a native speaker of or like there's yeah, no it's the only solution is doug jones learning spanish, spanish. i would like to hear it yeah because i don't like the fawn voice holy oh, shit really like what do you not like about all. it can we wait can i just want to say one thing before we bash anybody else i want to say all the credit in the world to Andy Serkis for what he's done and what he continues to do and the Oscars gave him the credit. Doug Jones deserves just as much. Let's talk about Period. the fun. Thank you, babe. I don't like it. I feel like it seems <laughs> very ADR now that you're telling me that. And I thought it. I really thought, and I'm like, maybe because of the mask, like you can't hear it that well. And then he had to go in afterwards and do it again. 
it had me thinking about it for a while and it just doesn't fit to me. Hmm. It seems almost like, yeah, like ADR. So it just seems like the audio over the picture. It's as if there was like a narrator through the story. And I feel I, like it doesn't fit the character. Hmm. And that's just on the voice. That's that, And that might just be like a a personal opinion. It sounds like somebody who learned Spanish and is now doing it and they're doing their best. But now you're telling me that this guy actually knew Spanish. So I'm just like, hmm, I think it's just the voice for me. This is interesting. This might this might be a disconnect between. That's really interesting. I was about to be mad and start a fight, but <laughs> you're the most fluent Spanish speaker of the four of us. Right. And I had no issue with with the voice of the phone, but I also failed Spanish too <laughs> in high school. <laughs> so the only thing I can remember about the Fawn's voice is sort of the the tone of it. Like it was a mm-hmm. rich, deep tone, which I thought fit because he's this huge, it's like seven foot tall creature who's the hand of the king or whatever the fuck. But I heard no words. I, I was reading the subtitles mm-hmm. in that tone. Right. So it it worked for me, but that's kind of interesting because you speak a de Spanish. I speak a de Spanish. <laughs> huh. Yeah. Well, yeah, Rashawn, yeah. How did you feel about Rashawn? I didn't care for the voice either. Okay, so wow. you guys are just wrong then. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's hands down one of the most impressive character designs ever. The voice does not work for me. It's just yeah i don't know what about it though can we get some impressions from both of you then that you would have instead (laughs) okay you know um lacy help me out here i'm not asking for a reference baby i'm asking for an impression oh i can't i don't even put the paycheck on the table (laughs) fuck what's the guy's name he's the cat in Coraline. the actor keith david oh keith david okay keith david's voice as a cat in Coraline is delicious. Rashawn. Incorrect? We're going back. I didn't like it. I, oh but I didn't, I didn't walk away saying I like Coraline, but I think Keith David's voice just like he has that chocolatey, I don't storytelling voice that put him in a, a fucking animated cat or put him in a fawn, it will work. I'm not saying he needed to be the fawn. I'm just saying <laughs> there's something that clicks with that voice for me that the fawn in this one didn't. I don't, I'm re- I'm not remembering much of a difference. The fawn has like a low register sort of. Okay, here's what it is. I base. feel like he's reading. That's how it see, sounds to me. Like if, see, if I came in, I was like, Josh, we got to ADR this. It needs to be out by tomorrow. Do your best. Um, just do your best. And you're like, all right, you got to cold read it. That's how I it wonder- sounds. It's just, it's just plain. I think for me, I write it off because I, I, agree with you that it's very slow and low it's kind of gravelly he mm-hmm. has this kind of tree-like design to him yeah. so that crackliness you know is kind of like the bark of a tree almost to me mm-hmm. probably reading way too much into it but hey i love this movie when we first meet him he does do that very slow lyrical storytelling in his introduction about who she is who he is but as the story goes on and they become more conversational, I feel like his his interactions with her quicken. 
And I feel, mm-hmm. especially when his emotions are heightened and they get into that loud, scary. yelling, scary altercation, like, that's where he really sells it for me. Like, he's very, very scary in that yeah. scene in the bedroom. Which, sidebar, uh, Guillermo used to have dreams and nightmares and he'd wake up thinking a fawn was climbing out from behind the grandfather clock in his bedroom and like that's where the idea of the fawn i read that like boy that is crazy i love it i wonder if it's what you're hearing or the the discrepancies maybe because he's having to match doug jones's i wanted that too lips Mm -hmm. and so he can't the 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 actor the voice actor can't quite give it what he wants to give it so instead he's matching the the mouth of doug jones i think i think so too because it does like i said before it comes back to somebody that learns spanish for the role which is fucking amazing um because you're not only learning just spanish you're learning spanish from spain that has like the lisp on it and everything and plus the character so it does sound like that but and i think that's why it kind of takes me out of it is just the voice i mean i think the whole character is fucking frightening and the fact that this little girl's like all right like she's just like down with it (laughs) is is fucking cool it's my Um, favorite thing yeah i think it's also like how you said it's um because it was a nightmare for him or maybe it wasn't it was just a dream yeah he said in dreams sometimes you're like i know that thing is really scary but i feel okay with it right now yeah which is fascinating yeah. Rashawn, who would you pick to voice the phone? Um, I'm basing this off of one scene and one show, but it's <laughs> stuck with me ever since I've seen it. Um, I would say Pedro Pascal. Ooh. There is a scene in Game of Thrones when he visits Tyrion in jail, and he tells him about seeing him the first time he was a baby, and there's this low, comforting timber that he has. And then he kind of flips that on the head. And so he's like, I'll be your champion. I'll fight for you. And just the coolness and then the threat in his voice is something. And I think maybe like what Josh said, it is a disconnect of a physical actor versus someone in a booth doing a vocal performance. And that they're probably, they're two different performances that you kind of have to put together. Yeah. So maybe that's the disconnect that you feel looking at him. Yeah. Um, but that was just off the dome. I, I think Pedro would do a really great job. <laughs> okay. Why are you That's laughing, Bella? That is a good choice. I know. It's just like I said the cat from Coraline off the dome. <laughs> and he's like giving this beautiful, wonderful speech about Pedro Pascal. <laughs> and he's like off the dome. <laughs> Can we talk about the the trials that Ophelia has to go through? So we have three trials that she has to face in order to go back to her kingdom and become Princess Moana. She has to feed the crystals to the toad. She has to get the knife from the locked box in the pale man's room, and she has to sacrifice her brother. I love how they start the three trials out. Three trials, the rule of three is very prevalent in in storytelling and in fairy tales in general. And I like that the progression gets darker and darker throughout the three trials. Like the toad is relatively harmless. She's crawling through mud. It's It's very fairy tale. 
very fairy tale. It's grotesque, but not frightening, really. But then we get to the pale man. The pale man himself with the hands on his eyeballs. Everybody could recognize it, even if they don't know what it's from. They're like, oh, yeah, that's that fucking scary thing. It's it's just straight out of nightmares. But that scene as a whole was so disturbing for me, this watch. The paintings that are on the ceiling of, you know, him devouring children. And then we pan over to the pile of shoes that he's collected. Like that to me was such a visceral, disturbing image. Just that pile of children's shoes. I don't know. Did I just wanted to talk about it, I guess. That that begs the question, is Ophelia really the princess? Why are there so many shoes? Why are there so many kids going into his lair? I read this somewhere. I don't remember where. I think it was on IMDb. There's a theory that Ophelia was not the first one, um, that the spirit of Moana has come through many times. The fawn actually says in it, that's true, yeah. Yeah, there have been others before you and they have all failed. There is actually a theory that Mercedes is someone who failed at, at one point in the trials, which I Interesting. like loved that. I that was cool. <laughs> I loved that and it would, you know, make such a great connection between why she is so drawn to and loving towards Ophelia. I think it could have been other princesses that failed the trials i think it could also just be he's based off of i don't like remember a painting right yeah from a different culture even so it could it could be other princesses it could just be that this is a child eater so <clears throat> oh ooh, not the not the throat clearing <laughs> <laughs> business time <laughs> going back to lord of the rings here we go. You know I hate dumb decisions. Uh-huh. And movies. Uh-huh. I was right there. I'm gonna I'm gonna yell at you. I just preparing sound for Sean for this. Back up from the mic. I know. They have presented this young girl as very smart, very resourceful, very plucky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the fuck you ate that great for, girl. She hadn't because, eaten in twenty four hours, Sean. She hadn't yeah. I don't care. It was two grapes. Know. She didn't think anyone would notice two grapes. She was starving. She, she just got a, through saying. She's a 10-year-old girl in World War II. 11. She's an 11-year-old girl in World War II whose mom just uh, withheld dinner from her. And now she's supposed to go on these goddamn adventures and this beautiful feast that is meant to tempt, that's meant to tempt someone. You're 11. You're like, Josh, don't masturbate. It'll make you go blind. I masturbated. And he's blind now, you guys. You and I'm it. legally blind. Let's <laughs> do a podcast. <laughs> She's an eleven-year-old. Then who don't is then don't eat a grape, girl. Go for the go for the go for stuff. the cake. There was a pineapple cake right there. <laughs> That's the innocence of an eleven-year-old who's like, oh, it's just a grape. Like, and she I think that shows cake. her her piety too. I think that shows her virtue in that she's not going for the big gorging, gluttonous choice. She's tempted by a teeny tiny grape. I mean, a sin is a sin. Oh my God. So, of course. Yes. Agree. She's 11. Shut the fuck but, up. But you, but you can't have it both ways. She can't be like super resourceful and listening and 
and very mature in other scenes. And then in this one scene, she slips up because we need the pale man to show his face. Roshana, did you, I missed my, I don't think I got my invite to the housewarming party for the new glass house you're living in. Oh. Go, hit me. What you need? <laughs> a sin is a sin, bitch. A sin is a sin. When was the last time you masturbated? What does that have to do with anything? You can't be yelling at Ophelia for eating a goddamn grape. That wasn't, no. My, a sin is a sin is Lacey was saying that she is virtuous for not going for the gluttonous choice. Okay. Instead, she went for a grape. I was saying, R- a sin for is real a though, sin. when was the last time you masturbated? Oh my God. I'll text you on the, I'll text you on the side. Uh, <laughs> Wait, why are you guys texting about masturbation on the side? He asked me. <laughs> <laughs> she has to fail. What, ha- what happened? I know. She- I know she has to fail, and I know, I know. The minute you go into that room, the pale man has to wake up. It's Chekhov's monster. I get mm-hmm. it. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. Find a more believable way to wake him up. Okay. Well, what if one of the fairies did it? If one of the fairies ate the food? No, because the fairies are the one telling her not to, and then they tell her to stop. Three of them. And she's she like, get the away. fuck out of my way. She's hungry. She's she 11. Then you don't deserve to be a princess. Oh, my God. She failed. I think maybe. Oh, you're so brutal. The pale man's lair. Are we calling it a lair? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Sure. Is part of the test. Like, I feel like they know. The spirit of Moana knows that ain't a single kid in here is going to pass that test. Especially... Back then when food was scarce and they were getting the rations, speaking of. So it's not a test about self-control because that comes later with do you kill the baby or not? The test is, can you escape the pale man? Mm. And she did. No, it's a test of self-control. Porque no las dos, you know what I mean? Hit him with the espanol. Wait, are you going to talk about what I think you're going to talk about? Let's talk about the bread, baby. Oh my god. <laughs> the rations. <laughs> Mel, do you want to go first? Or should no, I? no, no. I, I, I feel like we might say the same thing. Go ahead. Movies like this, Aladdin, where rations are involved or, or food is scarce. The main character is usually pretty hungry and this loaf of bread is maybe the only food they get for a day, two days, three days. Make a single loaf of white bread look so fucking good. <laughs> Dude! <laughs> Dude, <laughs> fucking it's, great! It's give me a give me a little bit of olive oil on the oh side. My oh, oh my god. fucking! God. A little square of butter. Sign yeah. me the fuck up. Toss that bitch in the microwave ten seconds, twenty Bye. seconds. Lacey, my, if you feed I'm, Josh, I will feed Mel because they, <laughs> they are ready for dinner. Tonight. My thing is those little baby breads that came already like prepackaged. How is a whole family eating off of that? It's so small. It's like a hamburger. It's like a hot dog. That's the point. Yeah. He says that's the point. He says it. Well, then they can't be sharing it with anybody else. They can't be giving any away. Terrible times. Share it with me, dude. We got some olive oil in the cabinet. (laughs) A little cracked black pepper. Baby, a little oregano. Sign me up. Like when Aladdin takes a bite of that loaf and he splits it to give to Apu. That loaf looks horrible. That's from The Simpsons. Abu, sorry. <laughs> we've been watching a lot. We've been watching The Simpsons a lot lately. Yeah. Can we? Okay, since we kind of touched on it, then can we? Can we close this out with talking about Vidal? 
Wait, hold on. Shout out to Maribel. She's the best part of this movie. Yes. She really she is. is. She's she's like the heartbeat of the movie to me. You, I think that's why the ending is so tragic is because you get this heroic finish. You get a Joker origin story where she fucking slices his cheek open. She's dead. Okay, wait. <sighs> Never mind. Sorry, I have one minute to pick. That's fine. Oh Let my me god, what? You get this you get you this brought it up. with her. She escapes. She escapes danger. She meets back up with her brother. Everything is wrapped up nicely for her, and then you see a failure die. I think that's another part of the ending that makes it so heart wrenching. There is no scenario that I buy where she doesn't kill him in that room. She probably thought she did. No, she didn't. I think she stabbed him in the chest. So she probably thought she did. In the back. But she's I, she's not the character to not make sure. I agree with you to a degree, Rashawn, but I think we also have to take into account any second a guard walks in and shoots her. She also has time ticking behind agree, her. Agree, but she, but she takes the time to say what she says to him about getting a pig. Oh, so good. Which is great, which is great, but like savor that moment and take it and I feel like he should be dead when she leaves that room. It's because I love her. It's because I love her so much. But I, I think the character that she is up until that point finishes him off. Because it's not like she's... I know they say, like, if he dies, another one replaces him. But they don't spare his life in the end. You know what I mean? Like, he's they shoot him point blank. So I just... In that moment, I don't know why she doesn't, like, at least slit his throat. Is know? that part of virtue? Is that part of... I don't. I don't know. I I just want to defend her because I think she's flawless. <laughs> I love her. I would I I agree. Yeah, she's hands down my favorite part. But I would say yes, it was virtue if they didn't kill him thirty minutes later. She didn't. Pedro did. But she, it's not like it's not like she's merciful. She tells him to his face, like your daughter, your son will never know your name. Oh, you know what I mean? So, so good. I just I don't know. I I don't completely buy that she wouldn't she wouldn't check to make sure to be fair he walked out of the barn afterwards and i was like she stabbed him a lot like he's he's walking around pretty fine for being stabbed so much he only got stabbed thrice and the blade was very small the blade is a kitchen knife and it's only like two inches long so like especially if he had any form of muscle or fat back obviously he survives that in the chest it was pretty high up so there's nothing vital up there. And then the, mo- the mouth is the most vicious part. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've said it before, I believe, on the pod, but Guillermo does such a great job of of grotesque horror minimally. He uses horror and violence sparingly so that when it does happen, it really, every time, guts you. I mean, from the first time we see Vidal you know, smash in the face of the young farmer boy. Oh, God. To the the lip cut, to alcohol seeping through his bandage after he stitches it up. It's hard to watch. And Mm -hmm. I I appreciate that meticulousness from Guillermo so much. So I just want to quickly, before we move on, I want to talk about Sergi Lopez as Vidal. I love in storytelling when we have a bad guy that is just bad. I love mm-hmm. it. And he's so 
vicious. He is so sadistic. That's so weird I kept seeing when I was reading up before the episode today. Everyone kept using the word sadistic for him. And I, it's, it's perfect. He's just evil. He's a bad person. And Sergei was a comedy actor before this. And wow. Guillermo really wanted him to play it. And the producers were like, hey, I don't think this is going to translate. Like, he's a comedy actor. Everyone knows him for his comedy. And he was like, um, I don't care. I want him to be in it. This watch for me, the takeaway was just how talented this man is to just be that despicable. Like, that's so admirable (laughs) to me as an actor and as someone who wants to be liked by everyone all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I, for a second, was like, there's no redeeming quality about this character. And then I was like, why? Why do I need that? Like, he Mm. is pure evil, that little bit, like, it's fucking glimmer of some, he wasn't born this way, he got fucked up. Mm -hmm. You don't want them to tell you why, but Mm -hmm. it's just enough to where, like, okay, he's pure evil and that's all you're gonna get, and you don't even feel sorry for him at the end. That last moment where, by my favorite moment in the movie, where Mercedes cuts him off and says, no, he won't even know your name. Mm -hmm. Oh my god. But then... (laughs) If it was any other character, you would feel such sorrow for them. Like, the one thing he wanted in life, he's not getting. But at the same time, you don't even want to, like, you're happy he's dead, but you don't want to rejoice because it's just a very layered villain. And it's very good, I mm-hmm. think. This time watching it, he he's so fixated on his watch throughout, and the ticking is so consistent during his scenes when he pulls it out. And I, it's the first time I equated it to... Guillermo's translation of the Captain Hook character with time, especially in in this heated era of war, just creeping up on him at all times. And I I loved making that metaphorical connection, whether or not Guillermo intended it or not. I was like, (laughs) oh, shit, he's Captain Hook. Yeah. All right. The magic was real. (laughs) Oh, I love you. You want to get married? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Oh, <laughs> throuple time. Who wants to play a game? Me. <laughs> Leaving Mel in the dust. Wait. <laughs> I want to play a game. All right, everyone. Gird your loins. Riddle me this. It don't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. I guessing games. Come on, boy. Boy, play with me. Riddle me that. For our game today, I'm super excited. I feel like this is a very lacy game. Um, and very it's much truly just for my entertainment so listeners i hope you enjoy it too pan's labyrinth is very much rooted in fairy tales and fairy tale retellings and reimaginings it's kind of its own fairy tale in its own right so i assigned a fairy tale to each of my three friends today on the pod and i asked them to give me an alternate ending to their story so who wants to start uh you give me little red riding hood i did so we pick up on a story where the big bad wolf has already eaten the grandma and donned her clothing Hmm. oh my what big eyes you have all the better to see with my dear what big ears you have all the better to hear you with my dear what big teeth you have all the better to eat you with my dear chomp chomp (laughs) woodsman comes in 
grown ass man immediately identifies that that's just a wolf and a moo. <laughs> Recognizes it, pulls out his axe, but the wolf attacks, obviously, because he's a fucking wolf. <laughs> There's a scuffle. The woodsman slays slays the big bad wolf, heads back into town. People are wondering, what happened? What happened? What happened? And the woodsman, of course, is like, well, I, I killed I killed the wolf and I filled I filled his stomach with rocks. And the townspeople are like, what the fuck are you talking about? Why? What are you talking about? And he's like, well, that's what we woodsmen do. We kill, we kill people and we fill their stomach with rocks. And again, the townspeople are like, you're insane. <laughs> what did he mean? That isn't what happens. And they look back at the woodsman. The woodsman has uh, fallen to all fours and is walking into the woods on all fours. And they're like, what just happened? Cut to beautiful house in the outskirts of the woods. It's it's this resplendent two-story, gorgeous chimney, stained glass windows, beautiful brick house. Let me get some ADR for you, Sean. Knock on the door. <laughs> uh, who is it? Knock again. It's just me, the woodsman. I, I have something I'd like to talk to you about. Uh, there's an issue outside outside your house right in the woods. Well, coming, coming, coming. The wolf, dressed as the woodsman, stands on his hind legs, ready to greet at the front door of this beautiful house, the three little pigs that he was unable to capture due to their beautiful brick house. And they're like, what can we help you with? And the big bad wolf says, it's something out in the woods I need to get inside and talk to you about right away. Of course, of course, come on in, close the door. The wolf turns, locks the door, fade to black. Wolf gets his revenge. Damn, I love that. I like that. <laughs> That was I would like good, to Josh. go second. Okay, go, Bella. And you'll see why. <laughs> Which one did I assign you? You gave me Beauty and the Beast. Duh. And I obviously went the Disney route, so duh. Duh. As the last petal falls, the beast lays on the castle ground with Belle on his chest. It was too late. He shall remain a beast forever. I love you is whispered out of Belle's mouth just as a petal touches the ground. The raindrops turns into the raindrops turn into multicolored sparks and the beast is being lifted up by imaginary strings. His feet begin to turn from giant paws into human feet. His gigantic stature turns from beast to human man and his lion mane turns into blonde tresses. All of this is happening as he's being lowered back down to the ground. Belle is standing there bewildered by it all. This isn't the first time she's seen magic before. As she steps in to see his final form, Beast pulls himself up from the ground. Belle, how do I look? Belle gasps. Beast, is that you? It's me, Belle. It's me. Come closer. Oh no. But your face. She grabs his hand and touches his face. My. What big eyes you have. Let's go. <laughs> Better to see you with, my dear. My, what big snout you have. Wait a minute. <laughs> Better to smell you with, my dear. My, what big teeth you have. Better to eat you with, my dear. Ah! And Beast licks his fangs and chomps right into Belle's head and howls <gasps> to the full moon. Ah! He leaves Belle's decapitated body on the ground wipes his chops, jumps over the castle wall, and runs barefoot into the dark forest. Let's go, dude. 
What a oh twist. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. I love how you guys are like putting different fairy tales in with yours. It's so good. I would have. Why would a big dick you have? Oh my god! So, um, no, I almost said Rashawn. No, all the better to you and my dear. <laughs> all right, Rashawn, you're up. So, Lacey, you gave me Sleeping Beauty. Mm-hmm. I of course went with the Disney version, and we are picking up the story right at the end when Prince Philip and Maleficent are fighting. Mm-hmm. She's in dragon form, and of course. Prince Philip throws the sword that lodges into the dragon's chest. In this version, when the dragon is punctured with the sword, it returns to the form of Maleficent. And she lays on the ground, weak, unable to fight back, and Prince Philip approaches her. He picks up the sword and he raises it to finish her off. But before he can deliver the final blow, Maleficent raises her hand and reveals that she is Aurora's true mother. Oh, shit. And that Aurora was taken from her as a baby by the king and the queen. Oh, shit. And her curse that she placed on the baby was a way for her to keep Aurora close to her (gasps) so that she could visit her every night when she was asleep. A twist. And so she accepts defeat. She went into battle with Philip, and she accepts that he won. But she asks that... Philip keep her secret and allows her to live. Philip agrees with one condition, that she leaves the kingdom and never speaks to Aurora again. Heartbroken, Maleficent agrees, and she asks for one final moment with her daughter. So they travel up to the tower, of course, together, and she kneels down and she weeps at her daughter's bed, and she tells her that she loves her and that she knows she'll never see her again. And before she leaves, she plants one final kiss on her forehead. And that is the kiss of true love that wakes her up. And just as Aurora is waking up, Maleficent uses her magic to disappear. Aurora wakes up, sees Philip, embraces him, and they live happily ever after with Aurora never knowing. We really said, let's keep it bleak, baby. Fucking bleak, man. Y'all understood the assignment. Damn. Gosh. You know what? I'm the winner this week because those were all <laughs> great stories. And I can't pick one. No, who's the winner? I can't pick one. Who's the winner? They're all pretty good. <laughs> They're all really good. One's got to be a, a little prettier good, though. <laughs> no. I can't. I can't. Ah, I can't. Lazy. I can't. They're you all so to. good. I think... Ah... If I had to pick one, yes, yes, if you had to I, choose, if you had I would to choose, choose Mella. <gasps> I love. You always choose Mella. Yeah. So? Because I'm the best. I mean, it was very good. And it was, it had that creepy, gory horror that I like. We love it. I loved them all, though. I tried not to pick a winner. Don't get mad at me, please. Ma- you made the game. I did. And it was <laughs> great. Thank you all so much for your time. You're welcome. And your effort. I love you very much. Uh, All right. Wrapping things up. I think we can all agree this movie leaves you feeling uncertain and unsettled, but it does make an impact on the viewer. 
I think we can all agree that Guillermo del Toro is a masterful storyteller and really puts his stamp and his mark on the pieces that he works on. And I think we can all agree that Doug Jones just deserves more (laughs) in this world. He deserves more. Uh, He's a phenomenal performer and we are lucky to witness his mastery. Really quick before we close out today, I want to give a quick shout out um, to Show Me the Meaning. They did a really beautiful episode on Penn's Labyrinth where they really go in depth on the the fairy tale itself and the lore and Guillermo. And it's a really great episode. Raymond is our friend over there. So go give that a listen. Go give their show a listen. It's a very good time. Yes, Josh? He put his whole Guillermo del Tussi into this movie. Absolutely Uh. not. Cut that out immediately. (laughs) (laughs) I will not be making the episode. No. Why? Just why? Why? I got one laugh. That's all I needed, baby. (laughs) The guaranteed laugh. I'm not expecting that. (laughs) Usually we end each episode with a quick round of six degrees of separation, connecting an actor from this week's movie to an actor from next week's movie. But we have a special little treat coming for you next week. We'll be doing the top movies of 2021 next week. That's it for this week's episode of When Cinephiles Attack. As always, we would love if you took a moment and liked, subscribed, followed us, rated us on Apple Podcasts. You can find this and all of our episodes on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Follow us on social media, Twitter, and Instagram. We love to hear from you, at Cinephile Attack. And if you have a suggestion for a new episode, or if you just want to tell us you love us, or you love Guillermo del Toro, or that Josh is annoying, Email us at whencinephilesattack at gmail.com. At me directly with that shit. (laughs) I love you. I really do. From Lacey. Mella. Josh. And Rashaudi Dowdy Pants Labyrinth. Love it. (laughs) We will catch you at the end of the maze.